Welcome to Many Windows, a podcast by educators for everyone. My name is John Cassie. I'm joined as always by my dear friend and co-host Jennifer McGlemory. And hi, John. hi, Jennifer. I understand you've eaten some ice cream today. I have almost an entire pint, but don't tell anybody. No one will be the wiser. Now, listeners, you know that last season we had the opportunity to speak to our good friend, Dr. Hannah Bennett, uh, who uh, uh, who shared with us, some, you know, some thoughts on, uh, you know, how the year was starting, right? And now we're we're sort of coming towards the end of the year, and we want to talk a little bit about reopening. Now, Jennifer, uh, th- we're recording this on Thursday, April eighth, two thousand twenty-one. Jennifer's schools uh, school is going to reopen for live instruction on Monday, April 12th, 2021. My school in Orange County has been open for live instruction since late September of 2020. The reason for this in part is because Orange County, California always had a lower impact from COVID-19 than Los Angeles County where both Hannah's school and Jennifer's school are. So Hannah, you guys uh, were partly open, if I recall correctly, um, kind of remind us and the listeners where where you so guys we were. we applied for the K-2 waiver um, right. in October, and we received that end of October, beginning of November, and we started bringing back our kids the end of November. Um, K-2. We, K-2. We had yep. kindergarten first and second grade back on campus. And then in February, when the state said that we could bring the three through six back on campus, um, we actually started bringing them back the beginning of March. And right before we went on spring break, we had everybody back on campus who wanted to be back on campus K through six. Right. And when we come back from spring break, we will have almost everybody back on campus. Great. And you guys are on break now. Yes. I see. Uh, We just came back on Monday. Uh, Now, Jennifer, your school public middle school in Burbank. You guys have been in virtual instruction all year. Yeah, I mean, literally we had the year anniversary, you know, about a month ago um, of being closed down and in distance learning. And we have not in any capacity had kids on campus with the exception of a few childcare programs. I see. Uh, And so where we were, down here in Orange County in September and where Hannah was a few months after that. Now, you know, you are right. Right. And, you know, for those, you know, listening, you know, across California, across the country, across the world, you know, that the, the local context of COVID-19 is really important in understanding the school's reopening question, right? That counties that have, a uh, or cities that have a, a, a very different kind of impact are, are just working from a different set of rules and principles, right? When Los Angeles County was severely impacted, Orange County was very badly impacted, but it was always Orange County was always had a had the numbers were always were never as bad as in Los Angeles County, right? And that sort of charted throughout the entirety of the pandemic, right? So the sort of the rules uh, down here just were just a little, you know, a little different, right? I think the the hand motions that you're making to illustrate that are particularly helpful for our listeners. Yeah, nothing like a hand gesture to uh, really enhance the quality of a radio program. <laughs> I have long held this. His hands are a, are like a little bit apart to show the difference between Los Angeles County and Orange County. With, mm-hmm. with the hand representing Orange County below the one right. representing Los Angeles County. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to giving you a wide range of extremely unproductive advice that might cause you a great deal of difficulty. Uh, and so look, since Jennifer's school is reopening and, you know, she's, you know, she's in a place where, uh, you know, she's got a couple of, you know, a couple of friends who, uh, who've already been through part of this. Mm-hmm. Essentially, this episode is her asking us some questions. I've got and, questions, and and we'll we'll do our best, right? Yeah. So, it's Jennifer, what what's on your mind? 
Well, it's interesting, you know, that Hannah's school here, we're both in Los Angeles County, but then the difference between a private school, a public school district, you know, some of those decision-making um, protocols when you're just thinking about one school and one small community versus a district with 19 schools, you know, that's where some of the differences lie as well. But I wanted to ask you guys about your experiences because I've got a lot of teachers and parents that are really nervous about sending their kids back on campus. Mm. And um, we are actually staying in 100% distance learning for the morning, which is we've always had our classes in the morning on distance learning. And then the, the afternoons, the students worked on the, what we call asynchronous work and the teachers were available, right? Well, what we're doing now is teachers are coming back on campus in the afternoon and, we're, and students are invited to come back in the afternoon to meet with their teachers, get help with their asynchronous work in person, but it's no new instruction. So it's really, it's not at all the same as school was. It's just kind of an in-between step, I think, mm -hmm. for us going from 100% distance learning to having some kids back on campus, getting all our teachers back on campus. Um, but there's a lot of people that are still really nervous, even though our num even though we only have about half of the kids coming, you know, we've split we're half of the kids one day, half of the kids another day. And then of that, only about half of those kids are coming. So any day we only have about 25% of our, of our students on campus. So let me, John, you've been, your school has been doing this since what did you like September? Since like the, the third fall? week in September. And yep. how many, how many kids do you have on campus or how many kids are in your school total? Just about 700. And how many have been coming on campus every day? Between 80 and 90%. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was lower at the beginning. And then as confidence grew that the protocols we had in place were working, right? We felt confident that they were going to work, but, and the county did, because otherwise we would not have been allowed to open, right? When we did. Um, but we weren't sure, right? How could you be sure, right? So we put in place what we thought was a, a really strong plan. And as the strength of the plan became clear and clear that it was a strong plan, attendance rose. Um, and yeah, I'd say we're around 90, 90 percent wow. attendance. Yeah. Hannah, when you first brought back K through two, what were your numbers like? Well, again, we did it the whole time. I've really erred on the side of caution. So we did kindergarten first, then we brought first grade back, then we brought second grade back. And then when we brought three through six back, we did it the same way, third grade, then fourth grade, then fifth grade, then sixth grade. And we were really methodical about it. And I think that um, in the beginning, people were really on board with that slow pace. By the end, people were ready to just, we had proven ourselves, I think to John's point, and people were ready for us just to do it. And I really insisted that we continue with that methodical pace. Um, in the beginning, K through two, so that was like surge, pre-surge and during the yeah. surge. Yep. We had about, um, two thirds of our kindergarten came back, two thirds of our first grade came back, more of our second grade came back. Um, and then with, um, I mean, what we're looking at post spring break is I think all but six of our kids will be back on campus. Um, but again, we've had time to kind of seduce people mm -hmm. into it, right? Our kindergartners were our pioneers. They, they, you know, the fact that 13, we have a small kindergarten class. So 13 out of our 18 kids came back. And when you think about it, that's their first experience at school. Mm -hmm. So right. their very first day at school for these kids, some of them went to our nursery school, but some of them were brand new to our school and their first day of school was masked um, socially distant, um, hand washing like crazy. They couldn't come on campus with their parents. Like it was right. this whole new frontier. Um, and they did it and they did it really well. And so they kind of laid the foundation for everyone else who followed. Um, and I would say the other thing is, and I don't know, John, if you would agree, but the anticipatory anxiety was far worse 
than the experience. And that was true for both teachers as well as kids. The hype of getting there was so much harder than being there. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I would agree with that, right? Um, particularly given how early in the whole, the whole thing we were, right? Now that, this is yeah. way before vaccinations. Like none of your teachers were vaccinated. Way, before. way, way before, right? Yeah. Yeah, and and there was there was definitely a lot of anticipatory anxiety, and for some people that anxiety shaped the experience of the year. Right? When is the shoe going to drop? Right? Now the fact that it never did doesn't mean that people didn't worry that it was going to. Yeah. Right? Um, we had. Uh, we had a couple of relatively minor incidents. Now, by incidents, uh, do you mean COVID cases? Because, of yeah. course, that's the next question, yeah. right? But here's the thing. Uh, we were doing hundreds and hundreds of tests every week in our community, okay? Uh, parents, children were eligible to drive up every week if they wanted to. Right. Did you do tests at your site? Indeed. Yeah, we oh, had wow. a testing site every Monday. Okay. And faculty were, before we opened, everyone had to be negative. Right. So we did a full battery of tests. Everyone negative. Okay. We're going to reopen. Uh, faculty were put into basically like a rotation. So once a month, you had to be retested. Okay, sort of formally. You faculty could go every week as well. No charge to the community, right? Um, and as a result, when we discovered a positive, we could immediately contact Trace and realize it wasn't transmitted on campus. It didn't start here. It came from outside and we identified it, right? So by being able to do that, we could sort of um, prophylactically close a classroom or, you know, close a grade down. Okay, you know, we're not sure what's going on. We're gonna go to, we're gonna go to, this group of kids will go to distance learning for one, two, three, four days. We'll run a new battery of tests on that group. Clear, we'll reopen again right? Which is entirely in keeping with Orange County's protocol, right? We did what the, what the county told us to do. You know, if you encounter this, do this. If you encounter this, do this, right? But we never had any outbreaks. We never had any transmission on campus. Hmm. Yeah. Which Hannah, I don't think anyone was expecting. Yeah. Hannah, did you have any cases? We haven't. Knock, knock on wood. Do you guys um, do testing? We do weekly testing of, of faculty. And we did um, community testing after every big vacation. So mm -hmm. coming back from Thanksgiving break, coming back from winter break, and now coming back from spring break, our entire community will be tested. Yeah. Um, we really flirted with the idea of testing our kids um, and came close to doing testing uh, weekly of kids. And um, we never pulled the trigger on that ultimately. Um, but we, and one of the reasons why is because we did these mass testings, which were relatively random. We figured that people's yeah. behaviors would change the most during the vacation. Yep. Yep. Um, and, um, it just didn't seem like a prudent use of resources. Mm -hmm. Um, and so with the, with the testing that we did have in place of the adults, um, we had cases kind of adjacent. So we had nannies who tested positive at different points. Um, we had parents who tested positive at different points, um, but we didn't have it actually come into the schoolhouse. Yeah. Um, and so again, I think we just got really lucky. I think that it is indicative of the, of, you know, there's a lot being written about the double pandemic, right? Like we're not just talking about COVID, but we're also talking about the, um, systemic racism and the kind of racist nature of, of the pandemic as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that you can see those um, overlaps in the fact that the population of the school schools that Jonathan and I work at 
mm. are less impacted than than other schools with different populations. Yep. Um, but we've been really fortunate from that standpoint. Well, and we uh, in January were able to start bringing some voluntary small groups on campus. Um, I had a group that I met with once a week uh, for some at-risk and special education students. Um, and, you know, it took us a long time to get the approval to get those going. I've been working on that for a couple of months. And when we first started, each of our, each of my administrators took a group. We had a different day of the week and a, a grade level group. And the very first week, the end of the first week, um, the next Monday, I got an email from a parent who said, you know, I, I'm tested all the time for my work and I had a fever Saturday morning. So I went and got tested and took my daughter with me and we both tested positive. And she had been on campus Thursday yeah. in her group, oh, but wow. nobody else, you know, so that whole group had to shut down for two weeks yeah. yep. um, and the teacher and, you know, adjacent groups, but not a single other person on campus, even though she had been, you know, she'd been in the classroom with a group of I don't know, about 10 people, you know, kids and adults, not a single other person uh, was infected. And to your point, John, it, it proves that the protocol, to me, it proved that our protocols were working. You know, what it we did were what they were supposed to do. Yeah, the mask, right? wearing the mask, the social distancing, it, it at least had worked in that situation. And you yeah. mentioned that, John, yeah. can yeah. you tell, tell me a little more about the things that you guys do when kids come on campus? Are you doing temp checks or what, what yeah. kind of things are you doing? Yeah. yeah. Uh, when you arrive, uh, only children and faculty are allowed to enter campus. Parents are not allowed to enter. Vendors are, are and enter a controlled zone, hmm. right? And no guests. Okay, so only children and faculty are allowed through the that sort of containment zone where vendors come, right? And the outside. Okay, uh, temperature screenings, compulsory mask wearing, all times unless you're eating in all spaces, indoors, outdoors, okay? All classrooms are socially distanced at six feet. And outdoors, the lunch areas are socially distanced. And we make a strong effort to maintain a level of social distance in hallways, mindful that when you're working with middle schoolers and teenagers, there's a limit to what you can actually do, right? But it's clear that transmission is partly dependent on closeness and how long you were close, okay? And masks just turn the dial down on risk, right? It doesn't eliminate risk, but it turns the dial way down, right? And I think that all of those things taken together, compulsory masking, all times, in all places, except if you're eating, right? Social distance, six feet in classrooms. And we, we made some upgrades to our HVAC. We made some upgrades to our cleaning protocols, right? But I think I think the, the two thirds or three quarters of the success comes from social distance and masking um, because we have no we have no trouble with compliance on masking and we were not going to that's not something to us that's not a political question it's a public health question mm -hmm. and we always follow the guidelines the county and CDC as we make our decisions Anna, what are your protocols in place? Really similar. I mean, we and we follow what the what LA County says. So we know that it kind of comes down. The CDC says something, right? They make a recommendation that goes through the county or through the State Department of Health, and it eventually makes it way its way down to the county. So unlike you guys are following Orange County Department of Health, I assume, Jonathan. Yep. Yep. Um, and that 
is moving at a faster pace. LA County is, is really conservative. So we, we know that we're on the tail end kind of, of things happening, um, but we've, we've taken that more conservative approach. Um, I, it's very similar, I would think. Our, we, as soon as the wheels are on the parking lot of campus, you have to, everyone in the car has to have a mask on. Yep. Um, windows, we use a, an app called Bright Wheel where you check in and it gives you some uh, health questions that you have to you have to answer the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't, it flags it flags you and then we follow up with you. Um, you know, have you been exposed to anyone with COVID? Are you do you have any health issue COVID like health issues? Have you traveled like those kinds of things? Um, we take temperatures, no parents on campus at this point, um, just teachers and, and kids. Um, mask stays on, same thing, except for if you're eating. Um, we have basically one-way hallways and stairwells, mm. with the exception of going, there's one part where you can't really go to the bathroom and maintain the one-way, but everything else, basically, there's an upstaircase and a downstaircase, and the hallways are one-way for the most part, um, which helps with what you were talking about, John, the um, keeping yeah. in the hallways is hard, yeah. at least it's all going in the same direction. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we sort of did a similar thing with sort of cohorting, right? Yeah. Like, by and large, high school students interact only with high school students. Yeah. Middle school, the same. Yeah. Lower school students largely interact with only their grade. Yeah. Right? Um, um, yeah. And I think, honestly, I think elementary school kids are just, it's. I think it's probably easier with younger kids than it is because even like K through two, um, their ability to comply, interestingly, is easier than three through six. Um, they they just kind of fall into step in a in a in a way that's easier than the older kids. So I imagine that as they get older, it gets even harder. Um, and then the other thing that we're really aware of, and I think that this is what you were saying, John, is just that the different strategies mitigate one another, right? Yep. And so I'm less worried about social distance when the kids are outside because I know it's safer to be outside than inside. Right, right, right. So at recess, if they get a little too close to each other, that's less concerning to me than when they're inside. Um, We also upgraded the HVAC system so that they all have the the right filters and they're all operating at the right capacity. Right. cleaning like crazy. I always joke with the with our um, custodial staff. They've literally wiped the um, like the cover of the door handles off the bathrooms, off the bathroom doors because right, right. disinfected them so much. Right. Um, but they're really everyone's on board and everyone's we've got these ultraviolet cleaning um, machines that they use overnight to totally disinfect every classroom, Um, all kinds of different technology just to make sure that we're killing as much germs as possible. Um, We use these um, spraying machines on the playground to like after one cohort of kids is out there, they spray down the equipment so the next group of kids can come out and play. I think that's that's pretty much it. Right. And sort of back to the point, Hannah, that you made before about the pandemic revealing uh, frameworks of racism, right? I mean, Hannah and I work at schools of privilege, right? Mm-hmm. And you might think that that school of privilege uh, is the disproportionate reason why we've had the experience we've had. But I, I really think at the end of the day, a lot of it is simply masking and distancing, right? Mm-hmm. And if you can if you can do both, if you can do both, you're gonna you're gonna make some progress towards maintaining a healthy campus. I want to talk about lunch. I'm interested in lunch. We're not going to be tackling that at all this year. We're not having any kids come and eat on campus. They're coming, they're, they're going to three different classrooms and they're leaving. Um, so they, you guys have them sitting at tables. Are they table, are the tables marked? How do, how are you doing social distancing? What are kind of the rules around eating? So one of the things that we did was just, we were very upfront with, like we kind of had an onboarding boot camp. 
And we were, and again, I was really um, deliberate with how we brought the kids back to campus and kind of onboarding them to campus. And interestingly, and we were upfront about the fact that lunch is one of the most dangerous parts of the day, because that's the one time during the day when you're not going to have a mask on. Um, and so the other thing that's interesting is it's also one of the easiest times of the day to um, manage because the kids are sitting still, right? So unlike the hallways, right, right. Unlike, unlike the playground, unlike all of the transition times, they're actually at the table sitting still. And unlike pre-COVID, when lunch was really just, let's get out of here as quickly as we possibly can so that we can mm -hmm. go play. Number one, recess isn't nearly as enticing because it's much more structured than it used to be by design because of COVID. Right. And number two, this is the only time during the day when they get to take their mask off and they get to see each other and they get to talk. So there's something really enticing about lunch mm. um, where they actually want to kind of sit and chit chat in a way that little kids don't always want to do. And so what we did is all of, first of all, we had to find a lot more space for lunch um, because when you have to distance six feet, the old lunch tables just don't work the same way that they used to. Um, we either have, so a lot more space, a lot more tables and chairs. Um, we are using literally every piece of furniture that you, that we could find in the building. Absolutely. For either, either learning or eating or something. There's not a single, no chair is not being used at this point. Um, but then there are stickers on like the the lunch tables that are more traditional lunch tables. There are little dots for their tushes so that they are know. Are those like picnic style, yes. if you will. Okay. Yeah. And there's only three kids sitting at a, at a table that used to seat easily uh, 12 kids, mm -hmm. right? And I've only got three kids sitting there. And then on the other side of where we have kids sitting, um, we just put six foot tables and two chairs at either end of the table. Mm. So it's really clear. Right. Like, and, and again, it's, it's actually was much easier than I thought it would be to, there's just no question about it. The other thing that's interesting, and John, I don't know if you've had the same experience, our kids aren't coming in as empty vessels, not that they ever do, but mm -hmm. as far as COVID goes, they've been very well trained before mm -hmm. they come to us. Right. And none of them are interested in getting sick. And so they are easily um, as cautious or more cautious for the most part as we are, right? They know what's up. They know what the deal is. Um, and so there's not, you know, every once in a while there's the coming together that automatically happens because you're trying to hear or you're excited or whatever, yeah. but it, it's not hard to remind them. Um, and they tend to remind each other. Like you can see the kids kind of like, okay, you're, you're too close. Just back up a little <laughs> bit. Um, so there's a lot of that going on, kind of self-policing in kind, and we talk about how to, how to say something nicely to other kids about your space and also talking about what, um, including looks like and excluding looks like during COVID, right? right? Because it's not the same anymore. Um, you can't have, you can't have a group of people with you in the same way. Right. Um, and even sitting at the lunch tables, like it's just not the same thing as it used to be. Right. So it, it, it looks different and it feels different. Um, and it has brought up some interesting social conversations as well. Yeah. yeah. John, that's what I want to know, particularly like for the older kids. Yeah. How, how is the social interaction? I mean, are, what is it like? Are they yelling to be heard? Are they like, uh, I'm just trying to imagine since we haven't done it yet, or is it, has it just shifted to a new normal? Yeah, it feels like we're in a new normal to me, okay? Everything that Hannah says is true about, uh, you know, our elementary school, and it's probably true about many, right? Uh, elementary schools. Our middle school students, uh, and our high school students are settled into this new way of being, you know, that the, where a particular space might've held four Adirondack chairs. Now it has two or it only has one. Right. And where the old lunch tables were like a four, you know, 
nominally four seats, but you'd have six kids sitting there, right? Kind of thing, right? Well, now they've got plastic dividers separating them into four discrete units with plastic walls between, right? Um, we have a lot of different kinds of furniture, so each one required a different, a different solution, right? We really had to spread our Adirondack chairs all around. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure you white, did. Your white privilege is showing. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Uh, but it's an example, right? Thank you, thank you, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, now I've thrown you off. No, no, it's fine. The, um, the way that the way the kids are, are, are interacting just, you know, in classrooms or whatever is largely what we would have expected. It's just the volume is the volume. There's just fewer kids, right? We've only done online class meetings, town meetings, uh, larger gatherings, things of that sort. We haven't done any of that in our lecture hall or hmm. or what have you, right? Big spaces like the library, they are um, they're also socially distanced, right? So so they're you know where you might have 60 people in the library, now it's half, right? And you're not allowed to just go where you want. You come in and the librarians basically give you a seat kind of thing, right? So it's a lot of that kind of um, thoughtful structure that makes the, the protocols work. Do you have a band or choir? Yes. Have Have they been doing business as usual or? No. Because that's one thing that we still, even as we're reopening and even as we're in the orange tier, we still can't sing indoors or play instruments indoors. We are, we're doing our best, right? I mean, you'll remember that Kevin Batchelder, my colleague who is the, you know, the band director, music teacher at TVT uh, in last season was like, you know, ultimately you can't, the technology is not in place to allow for synchronization mm -hmm. and band work, the technology isn't there. Imagine if the pandemic had hit in the year 2000, wouldn't have had any way to do what we've done, right? And that's kind of, you know, in 2040, if there's some other thing that requires something like this, I suspect that music instruction will be able to synchronize, mm -hmm. but the tech isn't there yet. I, you can't do it outdoors either, Jennifer, is my understanding. Um, I, do you attend, the health department, LA Department of Health does basically a weekly phone call. Do you go, do you attend those phone I don't, calls? I don't attend those, no. Jennifer, the the Orange County equivalent, I don't do. Okay. Um, the question comes up on a regular basis. And as of right now, you can't do, you can't sing or do musical instruments indoor or outdoor. Um, and we've like pivoted a lot since we haven't used that word yet during this episode, I feel like <laughs> pivot in. Um, we, so our third grade typically does recorder and our music teacher was teaching recorder when they were on Zoom. Uh, it was like one of the benefits of, um, our parents probably wouldn't agree with that, but our music teacher could teach recorder because the kids were at home, right? They could play the recorder at home. And so he traded in the recorder for the ukulele for those kids um, because you can play the ukulele, right? That right. Doing instruments you can play. You're you not blowing. Play. Right, exactly. Um, so things like that, but, but singing for sure has been um, one of the biggest, and that was also a benefit to being at home. When the kids were at home, they could mm -hmm. sing at home. Um, but we haven't figured out a, a solid workaround for that one. I remember, you know, in the summer when we were starting to plan for, you know, a hybrid scenario and then it all went to hell. Uh, at the time, you know, the social distancing was just greater. You know, if you were going to sing, it had to be like 12 or 16 feet in between. Mm. Um, and the recommendation was that everyone's kind of facing maybe, 
maybe facing the same direction or facing out or something like that. We'd come up with some different scenarios, some larger spaces, some spacing that might work. So I'm, I'm surprised our choirs at the high school have come back, but I think they're just doing mostly choreography. They're doing the dance component. Mm -hmm. I think what's interesting is that now, um, places of houses of worship can be back in session. Right. And so I'm curious um, how that's gonna uh, kind of impact what we can do. But mm -hmm. it's also interesting, you know, we have a nursery school at our, um, at our institution and their rules are different than our rules. Right. And like your rules for middle school and high school are different than the elementary school rules. Right. And so, it just is fascinating to me how, and some of them make sense, right? Like we can be three feet apart and you guys can't be three feet apart, which I understand the older the kids get, the, the more, um, the more dangerous this, the, the, or the increase um, risk of, of spreading COVID is, but the little kids, nursery school kids still have to be six feet apart. Mm. That doesn't make any sense at all. Right. Um, and just the different rules on cohorting and that kind of stuff, it just doesn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm curious as things open back up, mm -hmm. if there will be any kind of rectifying of the rules that that don't kind of make sense from one venue to the next. Yeah, I, I anticipate that the guidelines will continue to shift, right? Yeah. You know, as as vaccination rates dramatically rise, I mean, Orange County's numbers have precipitously dropped in the last two or three weeks, I mean, like a lot. I'm sorry. What are they at? Uh, we're in orange. As are we. Yeah. Um, and we were in purple, like, not that long ago. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, and for those listening outside of California, purple essentially refers to the highest level of, of impact, right? And then red comes next. And then red and then orange. And then, I don't know, yellow? No, yellow's next. Yellow, okay. So we, were in, we were in purple, particularly Los Angeles County, right? We were in purple for months. Months, yeah. People talking about, oh, when we get to red, when we get to red, and it was funny because everyone's like, red is bad, right? Like, we don't want to get to red. We're like, nope, nope, we want to get to red. Red's better than purple. Right. And uh, and so we finally got to red and then it was like, boom, three weeks later, we're in orange. So we, we suddenly dropped and we're looking at potentially, you know, we might be in yellow by the beginning of May at the rate we're going. Right. Yeah. We, that, that's sort of where we think the county's going. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, we happened, you know, Los Angeles County was in purple, like you said, forever. Right. Mm -hmm. Orange County was in purple in like August, right? And then it dropped into red and very nearly to orange in, in October, right? So we had a good six week window where it was looking like it was trending in the right direction, right? And so, you know, we, we were able to open our lower school and then open the entire school. And according to the, you know, the county gave us permission to, because they thought our protocols were all right. And once you're open, you don't have to close the whole school unless certain dramatic, oh dear, numbers are, are hit, right? And we well, never hit them. Us, we apparently won't ever have to close. Like once you're open. Once you're open. You're grandfathered into. Um, oh, that isn't the case in Orange County. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, we're. I think we're well through when that, might have triggered, mm -hmm. right? But so far as I know, the triggers haven't been removed, right? It's a certain, you know, if, if you have if you have epidemic spread, basically, right? Multiple right. grades and, uh, you know, a, a, you know, not, not one-offs, but multiple grades, multiple children and adults. Yeah. That's a, no, you're, you're out. You got to close, right? But Let me ask, I, I've been wanting to ask you guys, so the kids that didn't come back, what were they doing? I assume they were doing some sort of distance learning, but who was 
teaching those classes and did they have to have different teachers? How did you figure that part out? Or did the teachers do teaching in person and then they had some kids on zoom in the classroom at the same time? No, we had, we, we did hybrid instruction. Okay. Which is to say we had a piece of technology in the classroom where students at home would log into a zoom the teacher would log the tech in the room into the Zoom. And so the students could see what was going on and hear what was going on, even though they were distant, okay? And instruction continued with the teachers moving between, uh, you know, it depended on, uh, you know, whether you have more at-homes or more lives or whatever, right? Um, you know, the other thing I didn't, actually, I didn't mention this in, how do we manage, right? Some classrooms had classes that were too big mm. to fit, right? A class could only, the classroom can only accommodate 15 and there's 20 in a class. What we, well, what are we going to do? We're going to send five rotating different five every day to a satellite room and they zoom into the class, even though they're on campus. Mm. Okay. And the satellite room you know, you have to have your headphones and your microphone and all this, and you're you're paying attention to what's going on. And ideally, you didn't have that happen all the time, and you didn't have it happen multiple times on the same day, right? That you know that, that that's been the biggest challenge for us. Hybrid instruction is, you know, is very hard even in a well-resourced school, right? Maintaining attention of students at home because your at-home modalities of instruction, there's nothing wrong with, with distance learning instruction, in my judgment, as long as you choose the right modalities, right? But those aren't the same ones that you'd use face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. And so you end up prepping in a way that doesn't quite land for either. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's just hard. Yeah right? We're in distance learning this week because we just came back from break, right? Mm. And my colleagues' perspective is basically, it's just, it's just, it's easier to do it if it's, if we're all in one modality, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think I'm the most distance friendly kind of person on campus. Um, and even they're like, distance is fine as long as everyone's distance, mm -hmm. right? It's just harder when it's, you know, when it's a uh, uh, split. I think that's what really kept us in distance as a whole district for so long was that very problem yeah. right there that there, there wasn't a great solution. Hannah, what did you do with the kids who stayed on distance? So because nothing is easy, um, we, for kindergarten first and second grade, it was a different solution every time um, it, to meet, to best meet the needs of the kids and the parents um, because they're different, right? When we brought kindergarten back, the cohort size could be no bigger than 12. And you might remember that I said that 13 kids opted into uh, on-campus learning, right? And so we had to have more than one. And if I had 12 kids, it would have been great. I would have had one teacher on campus. I would have had a, a self-contained group of 12 on campus with a teacher. And I would have left one of my teachers to do the remote learning. And I would have just had two totally separate experiences. Um, but that didn't work out. And so what I tried to do, and I don't know if this doesn't make sense, I'm not gonna spend that much time focusing on it, but what we do in a typical kindergarten classroom is we usually have about 20 kids and we have two teachers, a teacher and a teaching assistant, and we do a ton of small group instruction in the classroom. And we usually have like three kidney bean shaped tables um, and we would have two directed stations of learning and one independent station. Mm -hmm. And so what we decided to do was to try to create that schedule um, and have, so we had two essentially two kidney beans of, of kids on campus and one kidney bean of kids that was on Zoom. Right, and right, right. That um, with those three rotations, and we actually did it relatively successfully. 
Um, and so we use special, you know, we have art and music and library and we have Hebrew and Judaic studies because it's a, a Jewish day school. And between the two general studies teachers and the different specialist teachers, we were able to essentially create one classroom, even though there were some in-person people and some Zoom people, and we were able to rotate the kids around um, and keep it as one class with all of these different rotations. So that's how we did kindergarten. Um, and it took a long time to conceptualize it and figure it mm -hmm. out, but it worked relatively well. Um, at this point, all of my kindergartners are back on campus. First grade, it was a very clear split. Mm. Um, and I had enough teachers that I could have two groups on campus, one group off campus, and I, it was all separate. Um, so the kids on campus had their own teachers, the kids off campus had their own teachers. Second grade was supposed to come back at the height of the surge. Mm. And, um, and then, so they were going to come back right after winter break. And then Ferrer asked us to keep everybody home for three weeks. And so when they did come back in February, um, the, I'm, I'm trying, I probably have about 30 second graders. And I would say that, and they're broken into three groups of 10, let's say, for their Zoom pods. And I had one group of 10 who all wanted to come back one group of 10 where two of the kids wanted to stay home and another group of 10 where two kids wanted to stay home. And in that grade, they really wanted to stay with their teachers. Mm -hmm. And so we decided to give it a try. And the one who everyone wanted to come back, that was easy. All 10 kids came back with their teacher. And then the other two groups where they really wanted to stay with their teachers, they didn't care that they were going to be zooming in and they wouldn't have as much direct attention, like all of that stuff. They just, there was like, brand loyalty. They were with Cammie, they were with Jordy, and that's who they wanted to be with. And they made that work. Um, at this point, they're all coming back as well. Um, but we had those three really distinct models for three, you know, like every time we did it, we had to do something differently. And it's interesting because it worked really well, but so differently for each group of kids. Then when we moved on to three through six, it really became um, the second grade model where people wanted to be with their teacher. Um, mm -hmm. And that was more pressing than trying to flip everything around and create a remote pod and a, you know, different, different pods of kids. Um, and what will be interesting now is the, the, so at this point, really all but about five or six kids are going to be back on campus. And I think that's going to be tricky to, um, to make sure, I mean, we're really committed to making sure that our kids who are staying home have a quality experience. Um, but I think that that there's a lot to pay attention to to make sure that they really do have that experience. Yeah. Yeah, it just, the smaller school just allows you so much more flexibility and just to be able to, you know, I love how you've, um, done things different for each grade level, for each situation. You know, I like to think that larger schools can do that too, but I think we do kind of get stuck. And just as soon as we hit one of the first roadblocks, like a big roadblock for us that as a district was just what you mentioned, Hannah, is we know kids don't want to switch their teachers halfway through the year, right? So yeah, could we have had, you know, regrouped all the classes and had distance learning classes and, and, you know, in-person classes we could have, but the teachers and the kids both didn't want to switch right. up, right? So it was right. really important to us to not do that. And that's, I think that's another reason why it took us longer to get to this place where we're um, having, you know, and that's, and, and our compromise of coming on, campus, you know, I think for a lot of people, just in the afternoons, for a lot of people, it's really the parents, it's hard, you know, uh, to uh, most parents don't have the schedule where they can just run their kids over to school from 1250 to three, and then pick them up at three. And, you know, elementary too. It's so I think that's really why we have such low numbers coming back. If we were coming back full day, like you guys are, I think our numbers would be higher. Uh, for sure, we have some people that are nervous, but I think a greater number are just like, we can't work that schedule out. We need, you know, the full day or or nothing. Yeah. 
You know, Jennifer, for what it's worth, for that period of time when Ferrer told us, asked us not to um, have school in session, we did a little experiment um, where we basically had Zoom school on campus. There, the, what I said was, if there's anyone, at that point we only had kindergarten and first grade on campus, but so I didn't feel too badly, but I did know that that we were possibly causing a hardship. Like we, we were caught between a rock and a hard place, yeah. right? Um, where I didn't wanna disregard what Ferrer was saying. And we had parents who were fully anticipating their kids going back to school and work and all of the other things that were going on. And so what we offered was um, that we would provide childcare. Mm -hmm. Teachers would teach from home. I had two teaching assistants on campus and we would provide Zoom school on campus for your kids. So it wasn't school, it was childcare, but your kid could come on campus and they could Zoom in from on campus. And it was so successful. Like the kids still had some socializing, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, and I guess I'm just suggesting that it could be a good, that could be a hybrid, mm -hmm. right? Where you don't have to, um, it's, that's not all, but it's also not nothing. Um, and it really did provide a service to the community. Um, and it's a way to get kids back on campus and to kind of, it's a grad, it's one more step. Um, and it was interesting how, how good it was for kids and how good it was for parents. Yeah, I think that a lot of people think, oh, you know, the childcare, all they're doing is sitting in a room, you know, on their computer. But you're absolutely right. There's still the socialization piece. Yeah. And there is something about being in the school environment yeah. as opposed yeah. to being at home and all the distractions there are at home. Yeah. We actually have a group of elementary school kids in a childcare program on my campus right now because they're uh, beginning of March, the, the, their campus um, uh, just started to be under construction. They're, they're redoing it. So at that time, I didn't have any kids on campus. And, and so we said, oh, sure, they can come. We've got plenty of extra space. They can yeah. come and use some rooms. And so we've had some, you know, we've got these three rooms of elementary kids on our campus right now, and we're able to continue to accommodate them. But I've seen them, it was so funny because it had been so long and there was no kids. And all of a sudden I walk out of the, out of my office and into the hallway and there's, there's kids on the lawn. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> there's kids. And it was pretty exciting. We all went out and looked at them and I was like, wow. <laughs> But that's exactly it, right? That feeling of, I mean, I, I will remember that moment when we had kindergartners come back for the first time and it's just like, ah, this is what we're supposed to be doing, right? right. This is what it feels like. Um, right. Yeah, it, it's, it's that it took a while to acclimate to what became the late 2020 normal and then coming back in to a more well, this is what school has always been. Also felt very strange. Yeah. You know, I, I actually still teach a class, right? And in September, after having taught for months distance, and then for three or four weeks at the beginning of the year distance, when I had kids in front of me again, I was like, I don't remember how to do this, <laughs> right? Like I have just, I've, I've gone into the new modality, right? And it took a little while. And I was like, that was sort of awkward, wasn't it? And they were like, yeah, we've been sort of having this experience all day. But we know it's just a transition. The kids were like, yeah, it's fine. Right? We, we, we're going to get there. It's like, oh, good. Thank you. Because I was feeling like, I don't know how to do this. Right? Yeah. And so, you know, we, we talk a lot about have a little grace right? Lean into grace, right? Um, expect things to just, the transitions to be harder, slightly more awkward, right? But well, you'll get there. I think we also, I don't know what the experience has been like for you guys, but we, in large part, our learning didn't suffer. 
Um, and I know that's not everybody's narrative, but that is the reality of what our experience has been. Academically, our kids continued to learn. And in some ways they learned even more like our, you know, we're a pretty progressive um, whole child centered school where our goal in kindergarten isn't for our kids to be reading by the end of kindergarten, right? It's really um, letting kids play, letting kids figure things out, letting kids do what kids are supposed to do when they're five and six years old. Um, and when we transition to Zoom, there's not, it's not a really very easy thing to do over Zoom, right? To let kids play, to let kids interact, to let kids explore. What's easier to do is to teach kids how to read and write and do math. And so we've got these really prolific little readers and writers and mathematicians right now. And what was harder to do over the Zoom was the stuff that we're actually really good at doing in person. And so I think that the other thing to anticipate is just like this explosion of kids needing to figure out how to how to interact again, right? Oh yeah, yeah deprivation. And it's so obvious, but at the same time, there's a moment where you're like, what is going on here? Oh yeah. They haven't been together for over a year. Right. Yeah. There's widespread evidence that that's the issue, right? Right. They haven't yeah. interrupted. Yeah. Um, and just being ready for that piece of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We haven't been in school for a year, but they haven't been in school for a year either. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would definitely put my chips over there in the same place, right? The social, the, the, the social stuff will be the weirdest part, Jennifer. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, John and I, we, we did the, the season, mini season of COVID considerations where right. we tried to quickly turn around all these little episodes as people were dealing with distance learning and just all this new way of learning. And here is we're, we're kind of finishing up with that and starting something new, the reopening yep. schools. Yep. Um, this and, and John and I are starting to work on season three and doing some recordings for season three. You know, I said, John, can we just jump on with Hannah? Uh, my school's about to open. I bet there's some other schools, you know, a few more schools in the same situation. If we could just get this recorded and put out really quickly before before we start releasing season three, it might be helpful for some teachers and some administrators who are just doing this work right now on the cusp of reopening. They're, they're nervous um, about what it's gonna be and they're, as they're just starting. And maybe there's gonna be some schools that, you know, the fall of next year might look more like what you guys are doing right now. Right. And, um, and this will be helpful, I think, for them at that time. As much as we all are have our fingers crossed that we'll just go uh, all back to normal next year, I think we realize that that's a little Pollyanna-ish, and we might still be doing quite a few of these protocols still in the fall. Yeah, through some of these things. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable thing to anticipate, mm -hmm. right? Um, We'll see. Yeah. Hannah, thanks. thanks for the time. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. Good luck, yeah. Jennifer. Yeah, hey, right? It's yeah. worth it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you're going to learn a lot. And you'll pivot your community. Mm -hmm. When you realize what unique circumstances you guys are facing. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping that, Hannah, like you, your experience... We might start small, even though we've only got seven or eight weeks left of school, that we will grow and um, more and more people, more and more kids will come back and just at least have that experience. Because I feel like it's going to be a transition. We've got kids going off to high school. You know, we've got kids that have never set foot on our campus yet. They're sixth graders. They're finishing up their sixth grade year and they've never been on campus. Just to be able to at least have that under their belt before next year, I think would be great for them. I agree. I think you're really wise to get them back on campus this year. Mm -hmm. um, as a, I think it would be equally easy to just say, uh, we'll wait till next year, but get them in this year so that next year you can just keep going. You don't yep. have to go over this. Can you imagine if they missed an entire year of school? Well, that's yeah. what I was thinking. The next year at the rate we were going, I was going to have 
two thirds of my school day one who had never set foot on my campus before. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're really wise to bring them back now. Yep. And, you know, by virtue of the rate of vaccination Mm -hmm. and good compliance with basic public health principles, Mm -hmm. you know, we should be moving stepwise to it being better and better week on week. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jennifer, we'll check in again, see how it went. But for now, Hannah Bennett, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we look forward to, to speaking to the community again soon about their experiences. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, I'm going to have a hard time hosting this program if you keep this up, Jennifer. <laughs> okay, okay, okay.